0: Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. As always, I'm your host. My name is David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, it's easy to do so, and I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at Of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at The Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always just email the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, as always, there was some great rugby on display this weekend, but this week we're doing something a little bit different. So we're going to hit everything from this weekend in this your regular weekly episode. But then to review the Stormers Munster final and have a look back at the entire URC season, which we're going to skip in this episode, um we're going to have a couple of special guests returning to join us uh, to talk about all that stuff. That will then be released as sort of a bonus episode probably the next morning. Uh it's sure to be a ton of fun. Definitely keep your eyes peeled on your feed. Uh Anyway, that all being said, let's get this thing right. So as always, we start with our current updates. And, you know, I admit I've been kind of going on and on a bit about my son playing baseball and everything. But I do have to do so once more this week as he has been selected, along with one other kid from his team, to play in their annual All-Star game. Did I, in fact, know there was such a thing as a Little League All-Star game? No, I absolutely did not. But when I got the email from his coach, you know, it just about made my year. It's been so gratifying to see his progress and then to get picked for a special squad like this. I mean, I'm just over the moon. Does any of this increase my chances of giving a crap about baseball in general? Oh, no, definitely not. But I am still one very proud daddy. I, I suppose it is good news this week. So, quoting here from The Guardian, quote, The British and Irish Lions are close to receiving a significant boost for the 2025 uh, tour of Australia with Premiership Rugby ready to bring its final forward to accommodate more preparation time for the series against the Wallabies. A historic agreement between the Lions and PRL requires final approval by various stakeholders, but... If it is agreed, it would end years of acrimony and improve the tourist chances of a first series win in 12 years. So it's understood discussions over the agreement have taken place for more than a year, with the Lions' chief executive, Ben... Uh, Calvary, and his PRL counterpart, Simon Massey-Taylor, adopting a collaborative approach in contrast to the conflict surrounding recent tours. One well-placed source said the expected agreement is a welcome, positive story for rugby, beneficial for all parties, and an example of the promises for greater cooperation among the game's stakeholders. So a lack of preparation time has long been a source of frustration for the Lions. In 2021, head coach Warren Gatlin warned that PRL's refusal to budge would count against English players when it came to selection before the tour of South Africa. PRL, for its part, was angry the Lions staged a warm-up fixture against Japan at Murrayfield on the same day as the 2021 Premiership Final. While the United Rugby Championship was happy to bring its final forward, making players available to Gatlin earlier, PRL has traditionally held firm. The 2021 final was just a week before the Lions' first match in South Africa, as was the case in 2017, when players were so jet-lagged they were falling asleep on the bus on the way to the tour opener. The new agreement would give whoever coaches the Lions against Eddie Jones Australia more latitude, however, and will enable them to pick from a full squad for a warm-up match in the British Isles. It would also avoid uh, players arriving for the pre-tour camp in dribs and drabs, as was the case four years ago. Pending approval, the final details of the agreement, including commercial ventures between the clubs and the Lions, are expected to be announced next month to coincide with the two years to go milestone, along with the final schedule that is likely to include a match against a combined Anzac side featuring players from Australia and New Zealand, unquote. Woo, that sounds great. I mean, if, if you recall, the last time there was a Lions tour... The ratio between good games and bad press was heavily uh, skewed towards the bad press. So anything they can do to smooth out these logistics sounds really good to me. Of course, by the next tour, the premiership might be down to like one or two clubs anyway. So it might not be that big a deal. And then we move on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are around a proposed draft system that I've seen floated for implementation in the URC, so I've already seen a ton of vitriol over this. People seem to hate the very idea of this, Um, so I may be the only one thinking about it this week, but I don't know, as an American, a draft always seems like a pretty basic good idea. I, I know it's apples and oranges, but anyway, here's the article I saw, quote, The United Rugby Championship is exploring a form of draft system to improve competitiveness across the league. Italian side Zebre lost all 18 games this season as they finished bottom of the table in consecutive seasons. Leinster topped the table after the regular season and lost only twice, including the semifinal to Munster. Chief Executive Martin Anaya Anaya says the uh, URC needs to, quote, think laterally, unquote, about improving the weaker team's standards, quote, there might be an ability to draft in players from the other unions who aren't getting game time, he told BBC Five Live. That is 100% a conversation, unquote. So one of the biggest defeats Zebra suffered this season came at the hands of the Bulls, who beat them 78-12. to The Dragons, who finished second from bottom, only managed to win four games from 18. And AI says a lack of jeopardy at the bottom of the table is a result of a closed league, one without promotion and relegation. Quote, There's a natural filter system to relegation. One team goes down and the team that comes up is full of expectation because they've won the league below. We don't have that in a closed league, he added. Our job is to find ways of helping the likes of Zebre and the Italian Federation to make them more competitive. In American sports, they have a system for doing that, the draft system. We don't have that, so we need to think a bit more laterally about that question. Ireland have so much talent that they're trying to work out how how does everybody get game time, while Scotland have two teams that creates a bit of a bottleneck for them. So... Those are avenues we are trying to explore. We're setting up a high-performance think tank to help us with that question from a a league-wide point of view. Zebrae has been at the bottom of our table for a wee while, and we need to try and do something to help them. Unquote. An AI says there's enough collaboration to ensure a draft system could work without concerns from other unions about improving rival teams. Quote. We have that collaboration at union level. They see the league is better and more commercially viable if all the teams are competitive, unquote, he added. Quote, and secondly, they want the Six Nations to be competitive. Our unions can see that helping Zebra is a good thing both for the league and also for the Six Nations, unquote. Leinster have dominated the league in recent years, winning four titles in a row between 2018 and 2021, but that monopoly has been broken over the last two seasons. While the Dublin-based team only lost once in the regular campaign, they were beaten in the semifinal by Munster a year on from losing a last four-meeting against Bulls. Uh, Quote, they've been beaten twice in playoff format in the the URC, and that's what we need. Not for Leinster to be beaten, but to have jeopardy, uh, an AI added. We are going to have a team that isn't Leinster winning it. Uh for the last two years after they won the previous four. That's a very strange sentence. Um, I think it's good to see a different name on the trophy each year. Unquote. Stormers host months during this year's showpiece in front of a sellout crowd in Cape Town with a nai praising the impact of the South African franchises on and off the field. Quote. They have just been great for the tournament, he said, and it's built in South Africa, too. At first, they didn't know what the URC was. Uh, they, they didn't know what the Champions Cup or the Challenge Cup was, but we've seen the Stormers build from 20,000 attendances to 30,000 through 40,000, and now we have our first sellout of 57,000. It's been an amazing couple of years, unquote. So I know this isn't going to happen. There's just too many obstacles and issues, and this, I feel like they talk about this every few years, and it's just never going to happen, but... And like I said, it's very much apples and oranges compared to, say, the NFL, but I just do wonder if it's maybe the tip of the iceberg of a potential solution in some form. Okay, that of course brings us to our reviews, and we're going to go in a bit of a different order, almost reverse order this week. So jumping right in with Major League Rugby on Saturday we were back at Fort Quincy to see Bodine Walker's first start since his return from Japan as the New England Free Jacks took on the threadbare Toronto Arrows. Part of me was worried about the the bounce back after the historic beatdown we gave them just a few weeks ago. Fear number one was, you know, how angry the Arrows were likely to be. And I combined that with fear number two, which was our team just not taking the game seriously enough. I have, believe me, I have, tons of confidence in our coaching staff, but this just had a classic Bill Simmons trap game thing kind of written all over it. So the day itself, oh, it was even nicer than last weekend. It was another fantastic turnout in the stands. Speaking of the stands, the people who would normally sit to our left didn't make it this time. So a few minutes in, two very nice women came over and asked if they could sit there. Why do I mention it? because one of them was Andrew Quatran's mom, and the other, his godmother. They were incredibly friendly and funny. We had a fantastic time chatting throughout the game. Q's mom naturally had some amazing and semi-embarrassing stories about her son, but I I will respect both of them enough to not pass along any such things in this space. Suffice to say, she's very proud of him and is very excited for the opportunity he's pursuing here in New England. So my fears about a trap game were entirely unfounded as things turned out. We hit the half-century mark for the second week in a row. It was a very different starting lineup for us as well, and the depth of the squad is really starting to show. It's pretty remarkable. Bodine Waka got his first start, as I said, uh, coming in at number 15, instantly clicking with the other players, while Jason Patras kept the 10 jersey and continued to impress, as he's done all year. We took this one down 57-20, to 20, which kind of sadly is a massive improvement for the Arrows, considering the result back up in Toronto. This clinched the number one seed for us, which means I now need to buy tickets for the Eastern Conference Finals on July 1st. Very exciting, as long as is not against freaking New York. So quoting here from the official match report quote The Free Jacks also remained undefeated both at home 7-0 and in the Eastern Conference play 9-0. They have won seven straight matches and have outscored opponents by an average of 29.6 points per game during their win streak. The Free Jacks set MLR records for points scored, 80, and margin of victory, 75, when they visited Toronto on April 15th, but the last place arrows made their hosts sweat in this one. Toronto opened the scoring with an easy penalty by fly-half Peter Nelson, trailed by 13 points at halftime, and cut New England's lead to 11 with a 51st. First minute try by outside centre. Ooh, I'm not going to be able to say that name, but his last name's Tassi. Uh The Free Jacks pulled away late for a comfortable victory, closing the match with 26 unanswered points. Unquote. So after the game, we were able to hang around on the pitch and catch up with the players, the coaches, staff, and of course other fans. So I ended up chatting with a Springboks fan actually, and quickly told him, "Oh, I haven't seen the UFC final yet. Please don't give it away." And he said, "Ugh, yeah." I, I guess you could say it was close. And note to all listeners, that definitely counts as a spoiler. Oy vey. So overall, yet another absolutely wonderful game day experience. If you watch the replay, you, you might spot me joining in with Diamond Dave for a couple of the post-try huzzas once or twice. Uh, two more games on the road, not an easy trip either, and then we're back home for one final game before we get to those playoffs where we're guaranteed a nice week off. I love this team so much. I feel very lucky to be in on the ground floor. It's just an absolute treat. Wouldn't change it for anything. What a team. What an organization. Okay. Also, on sunny Saturday, it was D.C. versus Seattle. By the end, you could have called them Old Gory after being pulverized by the Seattle. Oh, that, that was terrible. That was really bad. I'm sorry. I apologize. They were absolutely pulverized by the Seawolves. Seattle more than doubled up the home team, winning 19-41 to 41 when it was over. It felt like it could have been more as well. Uh, Houston versus Chicago was next, and give credit to the Hounds. They looked pretty good for nice stretches out there. They went on to lose just by a converted try in Houston, not a small feat. Final score, 40-33, and uh, 40 a bit of a shootout. Utah were at home for Atlanta, and combined, these two teams together equaled Houston's total. It was another win for the Warriors at home, 28-12. to 12. And then finally, on Sunday, it was league-leading San Diego, at home for the New York Mobile Pet Groomers, and it was another easy win for the Legion, besting the Free Jacks' rival, uh, greatest rivals 36-13, to 13, a heck of a weekend in the MLR. So swinging down to the Southern Hemisphere for Super Rugby Pacific, we had three Friday fixtures, starting with my Highlanders and Aaron Smiths. Final home game for the club, facing off against the Reds. And man, they did a great job with all the pregame stuff. I am really going to miss watching this guy next year. I saw he's headed to Toyota in Japan to join up with Bowden Barrett, among others. Uh, That is going to be a fun team for sure. Of course, he ran out first this time to a thunderous ovation. His two boys in his arms. Does anyone know? Are they twins? They looked to me like exactly the same age. So I just kind of got curious. Anyway, A fairly packed Forsyth bar, as you'd expect, with a sea of Aaron Smith faces throughout the stands. Of course, there was a game to play, and the Reds were looking to get their first win in Dunedin in 10 years. They struck first and fast, and within a quarter hour, they were up 14. But my guys, they kept their calm, and they did tie things up pretty quickly. Entering the final 20 minutes of this game, the visitors were up 6 with the Landers driving. Would it be a second consecutive last-minute victory for my guys? A penalty for the Reds had the crowd howling with derision, but in fairness, the ref was having a really solid night for me. The booing quickly turned around, however, as Aaron Smith left the pitch for the final time as a Highlander in the stadium, and the place rose to their collective feet. What a legacy he's created. Sam Gilbert Gilbert converted what I admit was a very questionable try for his 20th straight successful kick, and the home team had their first lead of the night with just 10 minutes to go. Quick pause while I complain just a little bit. First of all, stadium PA people everywhere, can you please, for the love of all gods, stop playing Sweet Caroline? It's seriously enough already. So as someone living in the middle of Red Sox Nation, I totally understand that it's our fault for starting it, and I apologize profoundly. But can we move on now? Okay. Anyway, also in this particular case, by the way, the Reds had, had just gotten a penalty off of a dim-witted Highlander's mistake. They're preparing to slot the go-ahead kick when they decided to play that freaking song, having the crowd being going so good, so good as they're falling behind in this important contest. It's just it's beyond terrible. What are you even doing? Okay, okay, rant over. So right at the very end. Oh, my word. It was Falau Fakatava sneaking through himself for a crazy last second try. Freddie Burns adding the extras to close out another comeback win. The stadium roaring in ecstasy. Aaron Smith visibly tearing up on the sideline as he closed out an incredible Highlanders career at home. The Landers holding on to their playoff hopes and potentially dashing those of the Reds 35 to 30 at the double whistle. Amazing stuff. So soon after, in Melbourne, it was the Rebels facing the Force. The Force managed to grab the first try. It was Sam Spink getting through. And they did that thing where they put up the graphic. It says, Sam Spink tries. Tonight, one. Season, one. Career, one. So a big night for him, obviously. Uh, so Rebels, they clawed back and grabbed the momentum as the half wore on. We had a nice little 19-7 to edge as the Hooter signaled halftime at Amy Park. I really have to wonder if Falafang is like, I've made a huge mistake. His new team couldn't find any more points until very late in the second half when Spink went in for a second. And that's when I heard his nickname, the Spink Panther. How good? <laughs> Either way, Rebels fairly went nuts in the closing minutes, just pouring in tries and got themselves a dominant win at home in Melbourne, 52-14, a record for them. Then, later Friday night, we had another actual home game for the Andrua, where they faced winless Moana Pacifica. Side note, Moana Pacifica are in complete disarray at this stage. Things are so tough. They should move to Wales and win the next several Welsh Shields in the URC. Uh, Sorry. Uh, Their selection of players has apparently been very restricted. Their rosters are consistently heavily NPC-based rather than Super Rugby-based. Their best player this year just announced he's leaving to go to the Crusaders. And their coach just either quit or was shown the door with rumors of widespread dissatisfaction among the squad. So traveling to Latoka was always going to be a very tall order. That being said, this game was fantastic. It was another phenomenally gorgeous day in Fiji. I know it's hot as hell, but it looks like heaven. Quote, it's raining tries, unquote, exclaimed the comms. And it was four tries apiece at halftime, though the visitors were behind by two. In the second half, the scoring continued fast and furious. Neither team holding a lead for more than a few minutes at a time. Inevitably, however, Moana Pasifika they began to flag a bit as things wore on. By maybe 55 minutes, the Andrua had started to run away with it a bit, while their guests seemed to lose their ability to find points. <laughs> My friends, I swear, sometimes it honestly feels like they're listening to me as I write this stuff because Moana Pacifica were like, oh, lost our ability, have we? And they staged a massive comeback with under five minutes remaining. It was anyone's game. It was 47-41. to 41. This was Moana Pacifica's first time playing in Fiji, by the way. And they, if they pulled it off, it wouldn't just be their first win of the season. It'd be their first road win in franchise history. My friends, I was so psyched for the ending. It was a yellow to the hosts. Moana Pacifica got in for a try with under a minute to go, but it was out pretty far wide and it would take a really tough conversion to break the hoodoo this year. It was 47 to 46 as the clock rolled into the red. There's definitely no respect the kicker in Fiji, by the way. But no, Christian Leofano, he dragged it wide left just a tad. A crushing moment for the whole team. The Andrua were one step away from creeping into the top eight. An incredible game and I really feel for Mo- Moana fans at this point. On Saturday, we did have Crusaders at home for the surging Waratahs, and you all know me by now. I, I have to comment on the beautiful way the light sort of played across the pitch as this contest evolved, a golden glow seeming to almost deify the players and the incredible skills on display on the day. After a quarter hour, the Taz had a slim lead but we've all seen this movie before, and the Crusaders were ahead by 20 as they, by the time they headed to the locker room. I worried it would get a bit out of hand, but it was an ordinary day at the office for the again reigning champs. It was 42 to 18 all told. Next up, it was definitely the game of the week for me. It was Blues facing Hurricanes, a classic four versus five matchup, and Bowden was sitting this uh, sitting this one out. They said partly because of All Blacks duty, but also because he'd gotten quote a gash on his foot unquote from last week and. I've been looking, and that is the sum total of that particular injury update. Uh, to no one's surprise, it was Mark Talea, who's having a monster of a year, scoring the first try of the night. Blues taking the lead for the first time after a quarter hour. There was a funny moment where they showed Chris Gibbs, the Hurricanes coach, slamming his fist in front of him and clearly just swearing his head off in the booth. And the comms said, quote, he seems a bit animated. He may be showing us why he's decided to give coaching a miss next year, unquote. Yeah, good call, buddy. In any event, the relentless, swirling, misty rain began to lower visibility in a big way. Things got a bit sloppy. That wouldn't stop Talea, however. He got through again to find himself one try behind lead leaders Sean Stevenson and Lester Fanga anuku this season. Jordy missed one right at halftime that would have gotten them within six, but the momentum seemed to shift their uh, their way early in the second forty. Artie Savia was having another monster night on defense, almost single-handedly, keeping the Blues out of the in-goal area on multiple occasions. He's like a a human get-out-of-jail-free card or something. Blues, however, were still ahead despite a litany of ugly stats. 13 turnovers conceded, a dozen a dozen handling errors among them. As soon as I wrote that, of course, though, Talea. he was through for a hat trick. That one. it could have been a top five score for the season. Maybe the decade. He just, he dusted no less than five hurricanes defenders. That man is pure magic. Quick side note (laughs) in super rugby high tackles. I I figure they're like ghosts in that most referees simply don't believe in them. So Angus Gardner was no exception on this (laughs) night either, by the way. So, some great skill from Rico Yuane and a mind-boggling fourth try for Talea put it out of reach. Blues holding on to win 36 to 25 at Eden Park in a match where the Canes left 16 points out there through missed kicks. Not a good sign at this stage in the season. Wow. And finally, to close out the penultimate weekend in the southern hemisphere, it was another real cracker. It was Brumbies at Home for Chiefs, a clash between the Kiwi best and the Aussie best. Right at the top, they gave us a brilliantly esoteric Simpsons reference talking about Corey Toole. They said that that we were, quote, dialing into the Corey hotline, unquote, which made me laugh hard enough I had to actually pause the game. Again, super rugby pregame stuff. You are killing it. So this one went much as expected, unfortunately, with the Blues uh, getting a shot to stay within three With uh, Sorry, the the Brumbies getting a shot to stay within three right at halftime, but it totally backfired on them. And by the final quarter of play, they were still stuck on a single score while the Chiefs seemed to gain momentum at every turn. No, Nick White didn't help either. And it was really all Chiefs on a sub-zero evening. It was 7-31 to at that stage. Brumbies finally got their second score with about 10 minutes left. The crowd were very unhappy. 21-31 to was the score by the end. So, that is... Wrapped up the round, which means there are only six games left before we get to the playoffs. The Chiefs have sewn up the number one slot with Crusaders, Blues and Brumbies filling out the rest of the top four. It's a really interesting table when you look at it with a third of the teams at five and eight and only one team winless thus far. Obviously, Moana Pasifika, the Rebels are ranked below the Andrua, But if you look at the points differential, Rebels are at only minus 62, while the Indrua are at minus at 146. Amazing number. So my Highlanders, as of now, do hold that final playoff spot, but three different teams could all theoretically leapfrog them next weekend, especially with my guys going on the road to the Blues. Those teams are the Western Force, the Fiji Drua, and the Rebels, and selections could very much play a part in those results, too. So Force are obviously at home to face the almost unbeaten Chiefs, but having secured the top seed, are the Chiefs just going to rest like everybody? Meanwhile, the Andrua get a home game against the Reds and will be back in sunny Suva, so they look poised to knock us off the ladder as well, while the Rebels do have to travel to Canberra to face the enigmatic Brumbies. In a way, it'd be best if Highlanders just miss out on the playoffs. I don't know if I can take watching another heavy loss this year. And final note, uh, no draws at all this season. Will that change? And our final chance next week, great year overall. Lots of drama, lots of intrigue, except around my Highlanders, who have pretty much sucked. Okay, swinging all the way back up to France now, Sunday was all about the conclusion of this year's top 14. All seven matches played concurrently to maximize the tension. What a season it's been. La Rochelle versus Stade Francais got us started. If you were wondering if La Rochelle might rest some key players after last week's European Triumph, the answer was, oh my very yes. (laughs) <laughs> the visitors had practically all the possession in the first quarter but couldn't turn opportunity into points until Nadir uh, McDude I think I previously called him McDude he got over the line for the Parisians to open the scoring it was a very underwhelming 0 to uh, 7 0 to 7 lead uh, headed into the break and it wasn't until minute 62 that the hosts finally made themselves known but Stade say they reclaimed the lead off a penalty soon after that. La Rochelle, however, almost by accident, got through again to make it 14-10 in the closing moments, a very frustrating evening for the visitors. And the moment the clock went red, it was kicked out to end it, quote, a lot of teenagers, so many youngsters, unquote, as the comps put it, depriving the guests of what looked like a very straightforward win. 14-10 was the final in that one for La Rochelle. Poe versus Montpellier was next. Poe were on fire in the first half smacking around their guests to the tune of 28 to 3 at the intermission. Definitely didn't see that one coming and 35 to 10 was your final score in this one this one an odd year for both of these teams. Toulon versus Bordeaux Begla saw the hosts up 21 to 7 at halftime. I honestly have no idea what to make of Bordeaux this year nor ever now that I think about it. What a weird year for them. So 35 to 19 was the score in round 26. We'll check in with the table in just a bit though. So Claremont versus Racing ninety two. This this broadcast was all in French, so I can't say I paid the strictest attention. But Claremont, they did manage to make it a tie at halftime. The teams nodded at 17, a yellow card against Racing. Let the hosts uh let the hosts find some Temporary ascendancy going up 29 to 20 as we began the final 20 minutes. Rassing would finish this season with a whimper rather than more of a bang, uh, losing 25, uh, 32 to 25 at the end of that one. So, Cast versus Perpignan, that one was next on my list, and I admit I, I barely caught any of this one. What I do know is it was a close one. The score was 19 to 16 with maybe six and a half minutes to go, and at the end it was 26 to 16 at the final buzzer. Lyon versus Bayonne. It was an edgy one. It was 13-12 to 12 after a half hour, but that had grown to 25-12 to 12 by the break. The home side took double advantage of a yellow card to pad their lead in the second half, and Bayon were in trouble. At the death, it was a seventh try for Lyon, vanquishing their guests in dramatic fashion. 53-19. to 19. Tough way to end the season for Bayon. Toulouse versus Brieve finished off the round and the regular season, and while Brieve did score first, it was Toulouse from there on out they took a 35 to 3 lead into the lockers escaping the light rain that had begun to fall the second half was more of the same Brieve still tryless with under 10 minutes remaining on their year and as thomas ramos once again trotted in over the line with the clock on red it was a fitting end for a tumultuous year at the end of the uh, at the end of it all it was the home team racking up a massive 54 to 10 win and i was simply exhausted Ducko. That puts a lid on the epic, never-ending regular season in France this year. What an absolute grind it's been. 26 grueling rounds, all to determine the best six clubs this year. We ended up with Toulouse and La Rochelle at the top, each with 17 wins, but a couple tiebreakers putting Toulouse at number one, while Lyon, Français, Rassing, somehow, and my Border Beagles, by the hair of their chinny-chin-chins, rounding out the playoff team's Breve will find themselves relegated next year, and there's still the jeopardy we talked about a week or two ago where Perpignan might also find themselves in the lower tier next season. Poe had the same number of wins as Perpignan, 10, but a draw replacing a loss and a significant difference in points differential saw them stay in the clear for the time being. What a competition. Okay, that brings us back over for the Premiership Final my well, friends, it was a, it was a bizarre season in the Premiership this year, kind of a sad one when you look big picture. So I actually went back to the fixtures and results, hoping to sort of remind myself of when we actually lost the Warriors and Wasps, but they've stricken it from the record, uh, which somehow seemed even more sad. But all of the hoopla, all of everything, all of the craziness, it all led up to Saturday morning. This was an odd match for me because I wasn't really pumped for either team to win. You know, like the series, they've long shed their salary cap shenanigans shroud. Um, and even I know they're very, very, very good, but not even as annoyingly good as Leinster. And they have Maro Itoje, one of my all time favorite players. So I should tend to root for them. But I don't know, for some reason, it just still seems wrong. Anyway. Saracens did look in control early doors. Max Malins, he was in top form as they jumped to a sizable lead. I mean, it looked potentially pretty bad, but Sale, I mean, they were excellent. They didn't lose their cool, and suddenly, game on. It was 23-25 to as we entered the final quarter of play. It got really, really good. You started to wonder if fatigue was going to end up making the difference in this one. Substitutions flowing in at that stage at minute 66, it was a terrible sequence by sale that led to Daly getting a sweet try, a highlight score, making it 28 to 25. And then, as the comms said, quote, for the, first, uh, for the second time in a row, a critical intervention by the TMO, unquote, as Saracens found themselves up 35 to 25 with less than 10 minutes left. But a yellow card to Saracens saw Owen Farrell in full scale complaint mode, and the Sharks were wondering, do we have a chance right now? Uh, The answer was no. However, it was definitely too late. Saracens were too much. It was a bit of a predictable ending to a very, very strange season. But still a compelling contest. Saracens are once again champions. But it's worth noting the Premiership has seen two teams fold just this season. And it may be by the time this podcast gets into your feed, they will have already announced the demise of London Irish as well. It really feels like its clout and luster are shrinking along with the number of teams. At the very end. Of an arduous season. Saracens prevailed 35 to 25 at Twickenham, claiming their claiming their sixth title in the premiership. Great job by them, I guess. Okay, buy that music. You'll, of course, know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Mark Tolea, Mr. Tolea. this weekend may have sewn up that black number 14 jersey for you. With two tries in the first half and another two in the final 15 minutes, you made Hurricanes Defenders look like storm mannequins. As you wove in and out at will, making other people look as bad as you looked good, your spark an awe-inspiring skill really inspired your teammates, teammates out on the pitch and helped seal a crucial win against a very strong opponent, Mark Talaya, winger extraordinaire. Congratulations to you, sir, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done. Okay, that brings us to our updates and previews. And obviously, two of the major competitions have just wrapped up for the year. So that leaves us with the beginning of the top 14 postseason. The final round of Super Rugby Pacific and Major League Rugby here at home in the MLR. We'll have just one fixture on Friday. It'll be my Free Jacks headed down to the Gorilla Cage in Atlanta. While on Saturday, we've got NOLA hosting D.C., the Arrows back into Toronto uh, in Toronto for the Houston Thundercats, and Chicago will face the on-fire San Diego Legion in the Second City. On Sunday, we'll have the New York seasonal retail assistants taking on Dallas Go Jackals. And finally, a potentially big one at Seattle hosting Utah at the Starfire. In your final round for Super Rugby Pacific, it'll be Blues looking to put my Highlanders out of there, or at least my misery. That's early on Friday, along with Brumbies hosting the Rebels. On Saturday, to finish out the regular season, the Fiji and Drua are home to face the Reds. The Hurricanes host Crusaders. Ooh, ouch. Waratahs look to prevent Moana Pacifica from getting their first win and only win this year. And finally, the Western Force welcome league-leading Chiefs to Perth. Then, ooh, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. It is time for playoff rugby in the top 14. We'll begin with the four versus five quarterfinals from Paris with Stade Francais hosting their urban neighbors, Racing 92. How on earth did Racing make the fifth spot? I just don't get it. That makes no sense based on what I actually watched this year. And then the next day, it'll be number three, Lyon hosting my, let's say, erratic Bordeaux-Begle. The highest seed to advance, of course, will face La Rochelle the following weekend, while the weaker side will travel to Toulouse and I, Am stoked. Well, everyone, that does it for another week can't decide if I'm crushed or hugely relieved to see the tail end of of a couple of these competitions. Right now I'm just feeling overwhelmed with it all, but you know, give me a couple weeks and I'll be like, wait, where's all the rugby? So as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers, talk to you soon, and be well.